Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. The final few episodes. Bill's Mafia. How are you doing on this fine Monday? I appreciate you tuning in. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain and I'm your host, Vince Taylor, you were listening to me on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, where we have a brand new podcast every single day of the week. And I'm sure by now you've had a little bit of time to digest and think about what we saw yesterday as the Buffalo Bills fell to Tom Brady and last year's Super Bowl champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 33 to 27 in overtime. And I got to tell you, that was absolutely a game where there was a tale of two distinct teams and two distinct separate halves because the, the first half Buffalo Bills team did not look anything like that second half team. The Bills were completely inept, completely inept on both sides of the ball to start this game. And it was ugly. And this this all stems from the offensive line. It's a problem we've seen all year long. And when you look at the Tampa Bay offensive line, that is a good offensive line. Tampa, Tampa Bay has given Brady plenty of time to throw the ball. Uh, yes, in the second half, we were able to kind of get around him. I think we only had one sack, and it was kind of a weak one. Uh, Eli and Cow got one, but... We would get around him a little bit more in the second half, but that offensive line is really great. And I can't help but wonder what Josh would do if he had time to cook. Because there were times in the first half where it was basically snap the ball and, oh shit, what do I do now? He doesn't even have time to make his first read because, I mean, they were just blitzing. And they, were just, they were just blitzing and they were getting home very easily. Uh, it was. It should have been embarrassed. I, if I were anywhere on that offensive line, I would be. I'd be embarrassed. Uh, it's been a problem all year. But credit to Brian Dable, we didn't try to run the ball just to try to run the ball, right? We know. We know because we've seen it this year and we've seen it last year that the Bills cannot run the football. And until today, we have been hellbent on establishing the run, knowing that doesn't work. Every single time we stick the ball up the middle, you can just feel it as a wasted down. It's either a no gain or a very little gain and a wasted play. And the run plays honestly take all the air out of a drive. Today was different. Today, I don't even know if we ran the ball in the first half as a handoff. Uh, What we were all screaming for last week in the elements was more Josh Allen runs. And we got it today. Josh got over 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And we were able to sprinkle in the run game. 
in the second half to kind of surprise them. We kind of lulled them to sleep with the passing game, if that's really a thing, and uh, stick the ball into Devin Singletary's gut a handful of times. And we didn't run very much. And that's great because we don't really want to, but we ran the ball more effectively because we did it less. I, that sounds backwards, but I believe that's true. Singletary only had four carries, 52 yards, broke off a couple of long ones. Uh, Brita was three for 12. I felt like he had maybe one where if he could have beat one more defender, he might've had a lot more yards there, but a lot of design runs by Josh. Josh was fantastic today. And the stats won't back it up for the first half. And I know he had that ugly interception. But Josh Josh was big boy Josh today. And I have no doubt that Josh is going to bring a Super Bowl to Buffalo at some day in the future. I don't think it's going to be this year. But uh, you, you can't help. If you're just stat line and box score scouting Josh, which is why I think all of us are guilty of to some degree, for other teams in the league. But if you're just watching Josh that way, that stat line does not tell the story about what a great effort today was. And he nearly brought us back. For a minute there, I thought we were going to get it. We had the red zone offense stalling again today, settling for field goals. Now, we we took the field goal to tie it, but we had first and goal from the seven, and we still couldn't end up Scoring a touchdown right there, super disappointing. That game was right there for the taking. Couldn't get it done. First drive uh, of the game, I, I maybe it wasn't the first drive, but first quarter of the game, electing to go for field goals. He, and he is in Sean McDermott, is very frustrating in the way that he makes those calls because it's like sometimes when you expect him to do it, he's just going to go the opposite way. And, and today we try to fake punt with Matt Breida. On a fourth and three, or maybe a fourth and four, would have much rather had the ball in Josh's hands. I, I, I mean, it's, it's easy for us fans and content creators to sit there and talk about the game after the fact, but wouldn't you feel much better giving Josh the ball, even a design run by Josh? Line him up regularly, do a design run. I feel a lot better about that. But settling for field goals in the red zone, it's been a problem all year. Not sure what the problem was. This was a winnable game. Believe it or not, as bad as this team played in the first half, we we had it was right there. It was right there to win against a really good Buccaneers team. Our nemesis, Tom Brady, has been doing this to us forever. Uh, I believe he was only one touchdown away. A passing touchdown today, by the way, Tom Brady, for having... I can't believe he was sharing the record for all-time touchdown passes against one team. And uh, he's probably not going to see us again. Maybe. Maybe he's going to play till he's 50. But uh, he's probably not going to see us again, so at least he's not going to get that record against us. It was a typical Tom Brady game. It was a typical Tom Brady game because the referees, all the calls for 20 years always gone in the Patriots favor or Tom Brady's favor in this case, but there were several non calls in this game that would have drastically changed the way that this game played out. The pass to Diggs at the end of the game, the pass interference in the first quarter 
Uh, Tony Romo actually said that he thought it was a pass interference. I didn't see a good angle. It didn't look like that to me. But that looked pretty egregious. That looked like one that the NFL might have to apologize for. Uh, I didn't see it. It looked like he had his back to the defender and his hands were in front of him. I don't know. I didn't see it. There was one lay earlier in the game, later in the game. Mike Evans basically wrapped his arm around Levi Wallace's head, pulled him in so that he can swing his body around and look like he was trying to get some momentum uh, so that he can make a play in the ball. But he's simultaneously pulling Levi closer to him and swinging him around. Again, his hand is outside around his head and Levi somehow still gets called uh not only Levi didn't look back but Levi was not the one initiating contact there and I know bang bang plays refs have a hard job but man it seems like we get an awful lot of these calls going against us don't we uh mm, I don't know pretty egregious right there but a typical Tom Brady game would not only have to overcome all the talents on the other team and our own demons, but we have to fight the referees. And I feel like I say that way too much. And I hate being that guy. It's so lame. It's so lame to sit there and talk about the referees being the difference in the game. And I've always hated to say that, but it has, it's been really bad and it's across all levels of football, I believe. And I, I don't know what the answer is there. But it's pretty egregious, and I think this year it's the worst that I've ever seen it. I guess you just have to put up with it or stop watching football, I guess. But we were without Trey White. We felt his loss uh, probably would have made the difference. I don't know if it takes away a full touchdown having him on the game, but I, I mean, it seems logical that having him would have made all the difference in this game. It's a shame that it played out that way. Not impressed with Dane Jackson. Uh, Levi's not a number one corner as much as we like him and he plays well, you know, every single snap that Brady was back there, he was getting that ball out quick and there were wide open people all over the field in the middle of the field, down the sidelines. He, Brady could basically do what he wanted there for a little while. Um, and Leonard Fournette hurt us too. So, um, you know, typical Tom Brady game, Brady 363 yards, two touchdowns, Fournette, had 100-plus on the ground. Of course, he got that long touchdown. Godwin, Evans, Gronk, everybody had a big day against this defense. Uh, as much as we like to praise them up for being a great defense, this was the biggest challenge we've had this year. The Chiefs game that we played earlier in the season, it's not the Chiefs game that's going on right now. This is a, That was a different Chiefs team than the Chiefs team that's out there at this point in the season. So this was... I mean, I suppose you can take some encouragement away from it. This drops the team to 7-6, and six, but this is a likely Super Bowl contender coming out of that NFC. And we did play them tight. If we could only get it together for just a little bit better in the first half, that might have made all the difference. Of course, we're always, you know, I mentioned the referees. Uh, but imagine what Josh could do if he had a legit offensive line, which I don't think he's had one since he's been... Obviously, we know what happened his rookie year. It, it was a better enough in the second year, but imagine what he could do with Tampa Bay's offensive line. Josh would win the MVP every year, wouldn't he? Uh, with that, all that talent, that certainly 
kind of green with envy right now, but this was a very emotional game. Uh, several points in the game and late into the fourth quarter, I was screaming at my television and probably alerted my neighbors that uh, something was happening. And uh, But it was it was an exciting game. It certainly didn't start out. I thought this was just going to be, we were going to get run out of the building, but credit to the team for making halftime adjustments. And, you know, I mean, you have to give Josh credit. How can you not give Josh credit for this game? You know, on a bad ankle, running touchdowns in, standing tall. I mean, the offensive line played marginally better in the second half and Josh got a little bit of time to operate, but uh, I, I can't say enough nice things about Josh Allen, Gabe Davis making incredible timely catches as he did last year. I uh, love seeing him fight for that first down. Uh, Matt Milano had a great game. Like seeing him making big hits because the knock on him last year was he wasn't a great tackler. And, you know, I think today he was excellent. Uh, Teron Johnson maybe didn't have his best day, but uh, there was at least a couple plays, I think, where he was able to shoot through the line and, and break up some screens. Um, but ultimately, it all ended up with a another loss for this Buffalo Bills team. That's two in a row. And we're now sitting at seven and six. I thought for sure that it would drop us out of the seventh seed. It did not. But before we talk about that, I want to give you Three things that I am not worried about and three things that I am. So the first thing that I am not worried about is Josh Allen. Please, please, please don't let anybody tell you that Josh Allen was the reason we lost this game. That is absolutely not true. This was one of Josh's best games that he's played, and it wasn't even a win, and the stats don't back it up. But this is Josh from last year. Josh from last year willed this team and carried this team to that 13-3 and mark. And this was that Josh. He was back today. It looked different. It felt different, at least in the second half. Even in the first half, Josh was pretty good. Josh Allen will win a Super Bowl at some point in his career. I would put money on that. Josh is that good. Barring injury, I, I <laughs> go to Vegas, put some money on that. I think you'll be happy with the result. The second thing that I am not worried about is Sean McDermott. Now, by the way, none of these three things I'm I'm mentioning are perfect. But going forward and going into next year, and even if we miss the playoffs, Sean McDermott is safe. Sean McDermott is a good coach. Sean McDermott drives me crazy with some of his decisions. But let's take a look at, let's take a step back, and what are we really expecting for from Sean McDermott? I think he's a good leader of men. I think he gets people f- focused in the right direction. I We hear so much about all of the attention to detail that he focuses on and giving his team the best chance to win. Look at what he's done since he came into the league. He made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. Sean McDermott is a good coach. He is not on the hot seat. He's probably got two or three more years of safety um, with the Pagulas, I would say. Unless the wheels absolutely fall off and we have like a, a two and fifteen season, McDermott's going to be here for a while. I am not worried about him. And by the way, this is his first head coach opportunity. 
He is still a work in progress. Yes, I'm sure if you caught him in a candid moment, he's going to tell you there are probably some things that he's done that he might like to rethink or do over. And that might include, you know, some of his kicking field goals instead of being aggressive for. I, I believe that's true. He's only going to improve, just like a player. McDermott is is improving as a head coach, and that's the second thing I am not worried about at all. Is he perfect? No. No, he's not. He's not perfect. There are many things that I could criticize him for. I wish he'd be more aggressive sometimes. I wish that he could reel a team in from taking silly penalties sometimes. I... I so much more. The the good far outweighs the bad. And for everybody out there that wants to see him fired or think he's on the hot seat, who are you going to replace him with? What's your plan to replace McDermott? We have one of the top 10 coaches in the league, probably. Uh, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but I think he will. And I think he's always getting better. And I think he's got a plan, which is a great segue to number three which is the process. The process is the culture. I know that people don't like to buy into that. There's kind of different thoughts on how much value you put on having a good culture. Hey, look, part of McDermott's charm is getting people to buy in. And progress isn't always linear. That goes for anything in life. That goes for personal relationships. That goes for professional success. That goes for anything you're trying to achieve. It's not a straight line slope going from left to right with an angle going up. It's not what progress looks like. You know, you've probably seen some of the memes where it's a squiggly line, and that's absolutely true. Sometimes it might even go backwards, but you will always be making continual progress, even if it doesn't look like that. Um, Think about, again, where this team was when Sean McDermott took over. I believe the players respect him. I believe he's good at shaking things up. I love the fact that he's benching guys like Vernon Butler. I love the fact that he's benching guys like Zach Moss. He is sending messages, and he's getting everybody in the, pointed in the right direction. And uh, I think the players respect him. So I think McDermott and the process probably do go hand in hand. Maybe it's cheating to pick two separate ones, but I think, you know, leaders have to make tough decisions, decisions that are not always popular, decisions that maybe not everybody always agrees with. But I believe that McDermott has enough clout and has earned himself a a good enough reputation with his coaches and his players and the Pagoulas and some of the fans that... I'm sitting here defending him, but I think he's he's earned himself enough of a leash that the process is easy for players to buy into. When Sean McDermott says something, I don't think it's going to have the same effect as if Rex Ryan says something. I think there's a big difference there. And the good thing about this process is it doesn't have to be perfect. I think sometimes some things are very much trial and error. And I think sometimes you can make incorrect decisions. For me, I would point to not upgrading the offensive line in the offseason, but that doesn't mean that you can't turn around and get it right. And in order for that to happen, you still have to be able to lead men. McDermott in the process are one and the same. 
and both of them are safe. They have several more seasons to come. Nobody's on the hot seat here. Josh, I'm not worried about. McDermott, I'm not worried about. The process, it's all going to be fine. Even if we miss the playoffs, it's going to be fine. I am not worried about those three things. Three things that I am worried about. Anybody on the interior offensive line, and that includes Mitch Morse. That includes Cody Ford. That includes Ike Bacher. That includes John Feliciano. That includes... I'm going to include Daryl Williams in the guard conversation because that's where he's at right now. Technically, he's a tackle, but he's playing guard. Terrible, terrible, terrible interior offensive line. I think that if you are Brandon Bean or you're the owner or your fans like we are, or if you're an offensive line coach or an offensive coordinator, it doesn't matter who you are. You are looking at this body of work for the last year plus, and you can't be happy with what you see. Now, I said that last year going into the season, and we brought it all back this year, but I, it's not going to happen again. We're seeing a $350 million quarterback take too many hits. We can't even run the game. We can't run the ball unless we do design runs with Josh. That's not what you want from your quarterback. So everybody on the interior line, I think you're on notice. I think you need to start paying attention and start being better if you have it in you at this point. Um, don't know what other ways to reach you at this point in the season, but... You're all on notice as far as I'm concerned. I'm also concerned about the refs. Uh, so egregious. So egregious. Pulling jerseys. Pulling entire bodies. Wrapping offensive players. Wrapping their arms around a defensive player. And, and pulling them in. And, and getting the call. And There are so many plays like that this year. And I'm sure if you talk to a Jaguars fan. Or you talk to really anybody but a Pats fan or a Brady fan, they're all probably going to have the same concerns. But, and I mostly pay attention to the Bills, so I am very biased here. I don't watch all the games across the league, but it's pretty egregious. Some really bad calls. There's been bad calls all my life, but never this bad. So I am worried about the refs. I think the NFL needs to find a way to start holding some refs accountable. And... I hate to be the guy with the conspiracy theories out there, but they have a lot of power and gambling is legal. So there's got to be a way. There's got to be some mechanism to keep referees accountable. We have heard that they have wanted to make taunting a priority. Where did that go? Because you're telling me that you couldn't see the way Brady spikes a football after he runs for a first down. That's not a taunt. Like, it's just so subjective, and that rule has never really been fully fleshed out. It's been left largely up to certain referees. And, you know, the Bills haven't been very good about reeling themselves in when it comes to that kind of thing, but that's still a concern, and it does affect games. So let's figure out a better way to hold people accountable, or let's give out warnings instead of changing the game that drastically over uh, something so subjective. And the last thing that I want to mention that I am worried about is our pass rush, the defensive line as a whole, both lines. We have spent heavily on the defensive line for the past two off-seasons. In 2020, it was a lot of free agents. Vernon Butler was part of that group. Quentin Jefferson was part of that group. Just handing out money. Uh, Mario Addison. We have largely got very little back for that group. 
Now, this past offseason, we did it differently. We we went out and we got an Effie Obata. We got a uh, Gregory Rousseau. We got a Carlos Boogie Basham. And we haven't really gotten the results we were looking for out of that investment either. And when you invest that heavily in one area of need and you don't get the results you're looking for, you have to ask yourself why. Uh, I, th- I think you need to start trying to figure out <laughs> what the common denominator is. Are we not drafting well? Because we had heard right away that Groot was going to be a project player. Now, we all fell in love with him, and I am just as guilty as anybody else about falling in love with Gregory Rousseau, but he's not there as a pass rusher. He's made some nice plays and run support, but hasn't quite developed the way you want to see him develop as a first-round pick. Our second-round pick, Boogie Basham, doesn't even dress every game, and sometimes we're even lining him up on the inside. He is... He's he's non-existent. He doesn't contribute to the team. Uh, I feel bought had a really rough game today. Now these are all people that we fell in love with in the in the offseason in preseason games, and we know, don't we? We know that we shouldn't fall in love, and we shouldn't take what we see in preseason for what's really happening or what's really there because it's such a mirage. It's fool's gold. You can. You can see it happening on the field in a preseason game, but it's not the same. But here we are in the regular season. Groot's largely been a non-factor. Uh, Vernon Butler is benched. Uh, Effie Obata had a really rough game today. Uh, you know, a guy we picked up off waivers just last week, Ellie Ankow, is, got a sack today. He was a leading sacker. One sack as a one-tech. <laughs> and that's because Star is not playing today. Uh, so, you know, the defensive line as a whole, as a pass rush, there's some reason for concern there because we have tried to invest so heavily into it. Now we still have a good defense. It is not really affecting us in the pass game because we have coverage style linebackers, because we've had Trey White. We have two good safeties. Levi Wallace is a fine corner. Taron Johnson, there's a lot of good pieces to back that up. So it's covering up some of the deficiencies on the defensive line. But I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it going forward. Are we going to go into another year uh, with the same group? Are we just kind of hoping that they're going to improve? Bruce Nolan will tell you hope is not a plan. And he's right. I am just as intrigued by Gregory Rousseau. And by the way, Ed Penenza is a guy I haven't even mentioned. Um, lots of, lots of, criticism to go around here and maybe it's because we're rotating too much i i think i brought that up by an idea up a couple of weeks ago and it made me feel smart because other people uh had that come out after i did and it made me feel like i knew what i was talking about but that's another area that we need to start paying attention to the defensive line as a whole we've never been very good at the run for several seasons now sarla tule is not what he once was he's not playing right now anyway but we gave him that big contract. He's probably around for one more year. Um, not great. Not great. So I, I'm, I got some concern there going into next year. Last thing I want to talk about this week is our playoff chances with another loss that we just suffered. We are now 7-6, and six and we're in the seventh spot. I thought we might not be able to hang on to that last spot, but for now, at least we do. We don't know how the rest of the season is going to shake out, but... 
if there's any silver lining here, and I, I still have con some concern. I think you, it's right to have concern. I think the number one seed is gone. I think the AFC East is likely gone. I think that's too big of a hill to climb for this team. A team that hasn't been able to put it together week to week, all season long, really. And a, a team that's just so inconsistent. Even in this past game against the Bucks, first half versus second half. How can you feel 100% confident about what we're going to see the rest of the year? We have the Panthers next week. Panthers are currently starting Cam Newton. I believe he was benched again. But they do have a good defense. Followed by the Pats, which is the toughest game left on our schedule. Uh, that should be in regular weather. I'm guessing we're not going to see the same windstorm that we played in the last week. And I think that favors the Bills very heavily. And we have the Falcons. And we have the Jets. So a softer schedule. Now let's take a look at some of the other teams we're fighting against because there's four teams lumped up in that seven and six. Uh, we have a lot of conference losses. Not sure how the tiebreakers will play out at the end of the year, but for right now, we're still hanging on to that seven seed. Cleveland was a team that I really predicted to be good this year has just really crumbled. And, and just much like us, they're, they're really letting people down and not living up to expectations. Las Vegas, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. Tough schedule. I think you have to favor the Bills schedule there. That's that's a tough schedule for Cleveland. Cincinnati will follow up with Denver, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Cleveland. Denver, who is listed here, mathematical reasons only. I don't believe Denver is a real threat to make the playoffs, but they're here at this moment, so I will list them. Cincinnati, Las Vegas, the Chargers in Kansas City, I think Denver's out. I don't think they really have a logistic shot, uh, a logical shot. I think they're much like us in the drought years where they're just kind of in the hunt and hoping for things to go their way. So I'm sorry, Bronco fans, but I'm not buying that. And of course, the Bills, as I said, Panthers, Pats, Falcons, Jets, I think that heavily favors us. But again, this is less about our opposition. It's less about the teams that we're facing, and it is more about our internal fortitude and putting it all together. All right. Uh, I think I've rambled on long enough. I want to get to the other portions of this program. Unfortunately, this week, we will not have a real or silly with Justin Goddard. Justin had some personal issues this week. He's fine. We should be ready to go for next week. Uh, so looking forward to spending some time with Justin. I enjoy that segment every week, and I, I hope you enjoy hearing it. But Mafia Hot Seat this week, two guests, two two great guests I'm, I'm very blessed to have. Kyle Knapp over from Knapp Knows Buffalo over there on the Buffalo Fanatics channel. Kyle has always been very good to me. I believe this is his third time on the program. Uh, a big fan of Kyle, and just a really laid-back guy. Easy to talk Bills football with. And last but not least, Jay Spencer King over from the Buffalo Rumblings Network. You guys all know how I feel about that team. They've always treated me well as well. And Jay Spencer King, host of the Code of Conduct, the Chop Up, and he also does Hump Day Hotline. Uh, this, I believe, is his second appearance in the Mafia hot seat. So looking forward to uh, getting him in the hot seat. So... Without further ado, this week's a Mafia Hot Seat. 
Vince Taylor and Buffalo on the Brain, proudly bring to you the Mafia Hot Seat, a built-in Buffalo production. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Be ready. It might be chilly. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. All right, Bills Mafia. I am super pleased and happy to have a returning guest to the Mafia hot seat this week. Please welcome Kyle Knapps from Napnos Buffalo over on the Buffalo Fanatics channel. Nap, how are you? You know, I, I was I was doing I'm doing much better than I was doing on Monday, obviously. Um I've recovered a little bit mentally from the loss. I'm in a better place. Uh so I'm I'm doing much better personally. I'm sure some people are feeling a little different than that, but I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to just move on from that game and kind of flush that out. There's a lot that could happen the rest of the season. And I don't know if I would say I'm like extremely confident, but there's endless possibilities. So I'm I'm okay. Yeah, like it is completely possible. I wouldn't put any money on it, but like right. the Bills just <laughs> run the table and every I mean, like, and we still get the number one seat after being so upset. Like it's still possible, but it's not gonna happen. <laughs> right, right. And you know what? Making it even better, I get to spend my lunch break here, you know, talking with you, talking with Bill's football. Yeah, I I always enjoy that. Yeah. I my bosses actually yesterday uh, early in the morning they were like, "Hey, should we just send like some sheriff's office to come over and just make sure you're okay? Do, <laughs> do you need a therapy dog?" I was just like, "I think I need a therapy horse." <laughs> just give me yeah. throw everything you can at me, please. I need all the help in the world right now. <laughs> I did. I said I'm accepting some food if you want to make some food. So, yeah, but there I I work for a wonderful company. I'm very blessed. But um, let's go ahead and get started. I have 10 questions in front of me. And as you know, you are the first person to go this week. Mm -hmm. So you have all 10 questions are open and available to you, Kyle. Which one would you like? I will just go right down the middle. Yeah, right down the middle. I'll take number five. <laughs> all right, great. I'm, I'm super interested to hear your uh, opinion on this because I know mine has changed. But looking back when we finished this year's NFL draft, I maybe felt a little disappointed mm -hmm. and you know, as time passed, I was able to talk myself into being okay with it. Here we are right now, you know, three quarters of the way through the season. Are you feeling different about our draft this year? About the draft from this past year or what we should be doing moving forward? Just to clarify before I go into this, this, this past draft April that we had. Okay. Um, picking Rousseau, picking Boogie Basham, the two offensive tackles. So I, I think I'm feeling kind of similar now. I, I went, I, it's been like a, a wave of where I was at, um, where at the beginning, right after the draft, I didn't love every single thing that the bills did. I was more that I, I was comfortable with the, uh, with either picking Basham or Rousseau, but I didn't love the idea of picking both. I was very happy partially due to my co-host at the time, Casey, um, with picking Spencer Brown because I would just been talked up so much about him at that point. I didn't love the idea of picking him and then going right back to the well and picking Tommy Doyle. After that, I'm not as, I don't think that anything after that made the biggest impact on 
what could have been this season. I, I think those are probably the four picks that you look at, though. And I wasn't the happiest in the moment that they doubled down and then doubled down again. And then I kind of got talked into, okay, maybe this is okay because we still have all these returning parts. And so they don't, we don't have to have all these guys being impactful right away. And it's, it's not going to be a problem. You know, it's draft and develop, draft and develop, draft and develop. And now I look back and it's obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. It's always going to be that way. I was in the second round. I was very much a big proponent of Creed Humphrey. Every, I think everyone's going to say that. That's the easiest answer in the world. But what he could have been on this offensive line, starting out as a guard and then transitioning to a center eventually, potentially would have made a big difference on the season. I mean, we know what he's done for Kansas City. Obviously, PFF grades, you can love him, hate him, whatever your thoughts on him are. He's rated extremely well. I think he's the top-rated rookie so far this year. So that would have been like a looking back, would have loved to have that one back. And then you go into the fourth round, or yeah, the fourth round with Tommy Doyle. And I don't even know who I would have wanted, but I feel like in the fourth round, there was definitely players, guys who could have come in and not been like an everyday starter by any means, but could have gotten in the rotation a little bit, still been that like draft and develop, but they can still play in the moment type of player that could have made an impact. So I'm, I'm, kind of back to where I started on last year's draft. I think there's some guys in that draft that are going to be really, really good for this team and have been really good for this team. Like Rousseau, though he hasn't been like a week-in, week-out knockout pick, he's had his really, really big moments. And then he's had some times where he's looked like a rookie, but he's been a lot better in run defense than I think anybody really expected. Then you go to Spencer Brown. I mean, he's been the most impactful offensive lineman potentially that the Bills have this year unexpectedly. So like two really good picks there and then some other questionable ones. So I, I don't, I'm struggling with it because I don't love the idea of questioning Brandon Bean a lot, but at the same time, there's some things that you do need to question him about of like, why did the bills do this? Why did your organization do this? What was the thought process and this decision? I, I'm, I struggle with this one a lot, but I think I'm back to square one on that draft. I like some things a lot. And there's other things that I, from the beginning, I would have done differently. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, hindsight's 2020. And, but immediately after the draft, I was like, I don't know, man. And then you give me some time and I'm like, yeah, I kind of like it. It's okay. Good. And now I'm like, I was right the first time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can always, that's the thing is you can always, if you give yourself enough time, you can always talk yourself into anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Like during the drought years, if you like think yes. back to it, all of the picks from the drought years that like we as fans talked ourselves into just about every single one of them. At some point or another, every single person who is listening to this was like Aaron Maben. He he could he could make a difference. That clearly wasn't the case. Like uh, but I never bought into Aaron Maben. I'm good. You didn't. Okay, you're <laughs> gonna not. you're gonna bow out on that one. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I and I'm not saying that like everybody was saying like oh they're going to be a superstar, but like oh maybe he could play. He John could do cargo. Yeah, there's like and there's always gonna be those guys, but there's also a ton of other picks if you look back in in the drought years where it was just flat out the wrong pick. It never was gonna work, and people were able to talk themselves into it. So that time that I think everybody kind of went through between draft, training camp, final roster decisions, and then seeing everything actually play out on the field 
you feel totally different, like almost week to week at that point. And so it's much easier to, you know, try and look back and say, we would have done this differently. But had you asked me how I feel about the draft right before the season started, I probably would have a totally different answer. And to be fair, during the draft, I wanted a cornerback over. I did too. Russo. I did too. And to, to give being credit, that's not been the problem this year at all. Levi is a good number two corner. Yeah. You know, even if we were worried about having Tyreek Hill run all over us again, that has not been the problem. Um, but you know, you pick up Gregory Rousseau and you're going to put him into a rotation, which minimizes the time he's on the field, which minimizes the impact that he can have when maybe that pick could have gone to an inf- a center, uh, a guard, you know, a, a true one tech defensive tackle, because all last year, all we heard was how much we missed star. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, we were writing off all of our defensive struggles because star was not there, but he's back this year. And we, we didn't make any move to get anybody else that could do that. The, I don't know. Like if he's that so important, that one guy is so important to the defense. And we're just like, into the second year we're just gonna be like yeah it's fine we'll just go with star he's back like you know if he gets hurt or if he has covid it's the same thing but he did nothing to address that yeah and that's where i think i go back to that fourth round pick where it's tommy doyle and who knows maybe tommy doyle ends up being a really good swing tackle but like that's probably his ceiling it for the bills like we already have two tackles we have deon dawkins and we have spencer brown i know dawkins hasn't had his best year but like he's still a more than worthy starting tackle, one of the best starting tackles in the league. So like, what's the point of drafting that when you do still have those other needs? I don't know. Like there's so many different questions that you could go back and be like, what if we just did this differently? Cause I probably do look at defensive tackle, that one tech position. Maybe that's where you go in the fourth round if you were to redo it. And then you mentioned like cornerback. I was in the same boat. I think I, I wanted a cornerback in round one, not necessarily because I thought like, oh my goodness, Levi Wallace cannot play. I've always been a fan of Levi Wallace. I just thought that he's upgradable, so why not go ahead and do it? If you draft a cornerback in round one, we probably look at that the decision to take Basham in round two as like, oh yeah, let's do that. That's a great pick because we need a pass rusher. We need another defensive end. So how all of that plays out can be looked at totally different if that first pick is different. And then just kind of like moving forward from there. But I, it's, I, I struggle so much with this because it's easy to look back. Like, like we keep saying hindsight, 2020, easy to look back and say what we would have done differently. And it's easy. I think as fans to just be like, well, I would have made this decision even when you're talking about it in the moment, because it's not your job on the line and you don't have to deal with the day to day of like what happens and you don't have to deal with down the road, what happens other than being a fan, like it doesn't cost you your livelihood. So those decisions, they're definitely tough to make in the moment. And I, I don't love all of them. I never will. That's the thing. I I'm never going to love every single decision or draft pick or free agency signing that's made. And I'm always going to be able to go back and be like, you know, here's what I would have done differently. Every single time, every single year, there's going to be something we could look back on and be like, yeah, I would have done that differently. I I think many of us saw that we brought back, hey, we brought back all of the starters except for John Brown, which mm-hmm. is really an upgrade. And, well, we can just take it easy, right? So I'm just going to take the best of what's on the board when it's there because I don't feel the pressure to do anything 
I don't feel the as much as much pressure to improve, but last year we couldn't run the ball. Last uh-huh. year Josh had poor protection. Last year we were not very good on defense, uh in, in the middle, especially. And you know, he just instead of upgrading and making a Super Bowl run, he went for I don't know, a lot of people were talking about longer term value or still getting the best player available, but he didn't he didn't upgrade. We didn't upgrade the roster as a whole. I, I do think, and this is good and bad, I, I think what we're seeing is kind of the the follow-through of Trust the Process. Like, Trust the Process was great year one through year three. Or was it? would that be year four last year? Whatever year, up until the end of last year, I think the Trust the Process mantra was awesome because it was, let's give this time we're going to get the right players in here and then we're going to let them develop. And you have to look at some other teams and say, oh, well, they're willing to move on from players because they're not the right guy. Like, yeah, they could potentially get better, but they're not going to. And the Bills just held on to the trust the process. We're going to have the right guys in here. We have the right guys in here. They just haven't reached their peak yet. And that's definitely been – it's been good in some areas. That like I, Levi Wallace is an example of that. A lot of people wanted to move on from him, but it's been really good to trust the process with Levi Wallace. Flip it over to the offensive line, it's been not so great because trust the process with John Feliciano and Ike Bakker and insert name here. It doesn't really matter which guy we're talking about when you're talking about just the guard position specifically. It hasn't worked. So I, that's – I think that's probably one of the difficulties is how do we go from the trust the process mantra where we're just every single time we got to hold on to this guy and let them develop into uh yeah, they're just not going to work. It was the wrong decision. Let's, let's cut ties and move on. Or do you say that too long and hang on to a guy, Cody Ford, Cody Ford. Yeah. <laughs> the Cody Ford is that, I mean, I try and not spit, not say his name at this point. I think that's probably why it slipped my mind. <laughs> That I mean, that's one another one you look back on. And in the moment, there's a lot of people who probably would have said, like, yeah, I would have loved to have Terry McClure and DK Metcalf, whoever. And you say that now also, but there's also a span in between there where it's like we kind of convinced ourselves that Cody Ford might have that potential at some point, whether it's everybody or not. Like it's that kind of ebb and flow of I don't like this. Okay, I can trust, I can talk myself into believing it. No, I, I don't believe this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Trust the process until I don't. Yeah. And I, I think that's fair. It's not like it's a wild thing to be like, no, we like this has worked up until this point, And that philosophy was great during the rebuild, but we're no longer in the rebuild. I, I think that's the point that like Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been great getting us to this point where I like I don't look at the Bills team as a rebuilding team. Nobody should. They're not a rebuilding team. They made it to the AFC championship game last year. Whatever happens with the team this year, I still don't think they're a rebuilding team, and I don't think anybody should look at it that way. They're just – it's a different part of the process now where we need to make some different decisions than we would have made the last couple of years because what we were doing to build the team up the last couple of years is not the same way that you build the team to kind of push it over the edge and make it that Super Bowl contender when that time comes. And I don't know if they're approaching it the same exact way that they did, but it almost feels like they're still just kind of holding on to that same thought process. 
Yeah, I, I guess we won't know until the off season, but you know, it's another tight off season. We don't have tons of salary cap room uh-huh. to go out there and and oh, we're just going to revamp the offensive line. Like you're going to do it most likely with rookies and Honestly, I'm not even sure how much they're going to invest in. It just seems like he's going to do the opposite of what everybody wants to do. Yeah, and that that is the scary part, isn't it? Like we know we need these things, but do we have the assets to get the immediate need filled? I time will tell, but I'm definitely not confident that they can go out and especially with their past history of they just haven't been able to figure out that offensive line talent very well like for whatever reason skill positions Brandon Bean Sean McDermott they've been great they figured that out for the most part obviously there's one position that seems like hasn't really worked out and that would be running back but when it comes to the offensive line and even somewhat the defensive line it seems like that's their struggling point so not having the resources to like attack that full on definitely makes me nervous especially considering how they handled everything in this past year's draft with passing up on what, what could be potentially a offense changing player, which I, I don't love harping on it, but like, it's easy to, because once again, I I'll say it and I'm sure people will be like, Oh my goodness, shut up. But like hindsight, 2020, <laughs> what do you like? Creed Humphrey could have been that guy. And it just, they just didn't look at it that way. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. I think, generally speaking, we're pretty lukewarm on Mitch Morse. And there are people out there that still are his defenders, but I'm a little down on him. And he's a concussion away from hanging up his cleats for good. Yeah. Right? So then what are we looking at? Feliciano? That's our starting right. center. Right. Uh, yeah. It's... And he's not worth the money that we're paying him. And we had to give him that to come to Buffalo at the time. And, you know, I'm not mad at the signing. Like I still think it was a good signing I but his best days are behind him is what I think I want to get to yeah and I think that's the other point with the whole offensive line discussion is even the people who really like Mitch Morse with I I think I definitely side more on the I do think that Mitch Morse is still good but I have those same concerns of like well if he gets hurt then literally the entire interior of the offensive line is just a mess because he's the only reason that right now I think the interior offensive line is even not even like semi holding it together, but playing at that level that they are. If you flex, if you put Feliciano in there and then it's Bacher, Feliciano and Darrell Williams, like the offensive line play just drops even farther. <laughs> no, so it, it's, <laughs> it's super, it's super disappointing to know that like all of these concerns about the offensive line were there and instead of attacking the part of the offensive line that there were concerns at you attack the part of the offensive line which once again Spencer Brown very happy with that pick everyone should say they are everybody would say they are but you go and you double down with another tackle when you had the past year signed your left tackle to a four or five year contract whatever Dawkins got and then you had just given Darrell Williams an extension as well. Yeah. So that like the decision to attack the positions that you have locked up long-term already seems like an odd decision in the moment. And then even looking back on it, it still does. Yeah. I'm with you there. But you mentioned motor and Moss and Brita. Mm-hmm. I think that if we had even the average offensive line play and, and run blocking, 
Nobody's talking about those guys. Nobody's wanting to replace them. Maybe Moss, because I don't think Moss is on the same level as the other two. And they're not great. I'm not here to tell you that they're all both all pros or, you know, I don't even think either one of them is going to make a Pro Bowl in their career. But they're passable backs, especially in a committee. And nobody's going to be talking about, well, we need to get rid of running backs. They're terrible. When you got to make a move just to get back to the line of scrimmage so there's not a hand on you, every time pretty much you take the ball. I don't know. That yeah, would have solved two birds with killed two birds with one stone. So to I'm speak. I'm looking up the the team rushing leaders right now because I want to see where the Ravens are. Because like the Ravens are the perfect example of it really doesn't matter who your running backs are if your offense is being utilized the right way, if your offensive line can block even a little bit. And I know they have Lamar, so that really bumps them up, but we have Josh Allen and we could use him in, in a way that bumps up our rushing attack. So if the offensive line could even give the running backs a, a, a few holes to run through, I don't know. And maybe that is more – I don't. I mean, it's definitely not all scheme. It's definitely not all the offensive line. It's a mix of both, and I think it probably falls more on the offensive line talent. But, I, yeah, I, I would agree that if the offensive line were to improve and if they knew what they wanted with the offensive line too, I think that's the other – kind of difficulty is it doesn't seem like Brandon Bean really knows what he wants with the offensive line. Then I think things would then also be different with the running game because you hear, and this has just been like a thing the last probably two or three weeks, but especially after the Patriots game, Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, they've been talking a lot about, we want to be physical on the offensive line to establish the running game. They just don't have the guys to do it. And they haven't really brought those guys in uh, it like Mitch Morse is much more of a pass blocking offensive lineman. He's athletic enough to pull and make those blocks, but it's not like he's going to out physical defensive tackles who are run stuffing defensive tackles. That's just not his game. And we don't so call don't, those yeah. plays anyway. We give the ball right, right. In the middle. Yeah. Which is even more infuriating because we know we don't have the horses to run the ball up the middle. So I, I think, there's a lot of things you could look back on. I, I don't think I agree that I don't think the running game is called into question as much and the running backs aren't called into question as much. If the offensive line is better, we could get into a whole other discussion about the running backs, about like who should be here and who shouldn't, because they all have attributes that you can hold on to, but then they all have things that are like, yuck, get that off my team. So every single where you look outside of quarterback safety and probably wide receiver you're like well we we could potentially have attacked this position and i guess we'll throw in linebacker too which i know some people will say no we don't include that but like outside of those positions you probably could look at this past offseason and been like whether it's the draft or free agency maybe we should have attacked this differently okay kyle I always enjoy speaking with you, my man. I'm a big fan of the show, and thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Do you have anything else for me today? Uh, no, man. Just like, look, if anybody wants to, feel free to listen to Nap Knows Buffalo. It comes out Friday mornings. We're right now, we're kind of in flux with doing a live show every other week. So, uh, if when when is this one coming out? This will release Monday. This will okay. So this will be after the Bucks game. So we won't be the the show that's going to be live. This week, when you're listening, we'll be live on YouTube the following week. We're flip-flopping with 585 Report uh, for the YouTube lives on Thursday nights right now. But Friday mornings, that's when the podcast drops. Go ahead and listen. Me and Manny, we're giving you our 
takes on just about everything. We're trying to give a little bit more than just the bills. I know we love the bills, but let's let's make it interesting and, and cover a couple of other topics because everybody right now is talking about the bills. Like we have so many different bills shows that I know I'm not the smartest person to be talking about the bills like yourself, Bruce Nolan, Joe Marino. Like there's so many people who are smarter than me when it comes to just specifics on the bills that we're trying to we're trying to branch out a little bit for some people and and give them a, a little bit extra in other areas where, you know, other people are just smarter when it comes to the bills than us. So we we do our best with the bills, but we're going to give you everything in, around the league. Well, yeah, it is a good listen. I, I do try to catch you on Friday mornings. As I said, I work from home as well. So mm-hmm. I have uh, podcasts on all day long and most of them are bills related. So I gobble up all of the, uh, the bills content that's out there. Usually. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to consume all of it. I know we've talked about this before. Like I, I, I'm not able to listen to every single show that I would want to every single week because like I said, there's just so many different shows out there that if you're not able to listen to us every week, I, I hurts my, it hurts my heart a little bit, but I like, I get it. It's, it's impossible to consume every single piece of Bill's content at this point. Yeah, it's it's tough, but like I said, I'm able to make it work because I'm home upstairs. I got the whole upstairs by myself all day long. That is nice. So I just that hop on nice. a podcast and plug away. But Nap, always a pleasure, my friend. It was uh, really fun having you on the podcast uh, these last six or eight months. And um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a loyal listener. I catch you on Fridays in podcast form. So thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time. Look, I appreciate it. If you are doing this again in the future, when you have the ability to, I would be more than happy to join you again. And I will definitely take you up on that. All right. Thank you. Go Bills. Go Bills. All right, Bills Mafia joining me back on the hot seat this week is Jay Spence the King over from Code of Conduct and uh, the Chop Up over there on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. Those guys have always been so good to me, and I'm very blessed and happy to have Jay Spence the King back in the hot seat this week. Jay Spence, how are you? What's up, man? How's it going? I'm I'm honored to be back on the show. I'm a repeat guest, so that's an honor. Apparently, I didn't mess up the first time too much. <laughs> nah, man. No, nah, you didn't mess up. You always do a great job. And it's, I'm always, I'm always thrilled and uh, humbled when people give me some of their time because uh, I can't make a good show without help from other people. So I'm glad that you're here, carrying my sorry ass through this thing. <laughs> no, man, your show is entertaining. I love, I love the concept. I love how you do it. You know, throw the questions out quick, get the, the first response. Don't we don't want the politically correct stuff, man. Say what's on your mind. I love it. I love. It. <laughs> Okay, so you and I had had already uh, communicated a little bit before we went on air, and you indicated that you were taking number eight in order of the great Kobe Bryant. So I like this question because I think I think it's up in the air right now. We're seeing what happened this past week against the Patriots, where Marcus Stevenson and Isaiah McKenzie were both benched. I feel like Marcus Stevenson was drafted to be a, a direct competition threat for Isaiah. And 
it's not going so well. So Jay Spencer King, what does the kick returner and punt returner situation look like going into next year? Are those guys around? I think Stevenson's around. If you if you look at the way things are going, I think if the if the weather wasn't predicted to be what it was Monday night, I think you would have seen Stevenson still get that call. Now, I think now, based on what's happening with the offense, we're going to see Isaiah McKenzie get some shots on offense. And maybe just because, you know, he's been back there and they really haven't come up with a real solution, he may get the punt and kick return again. But I, I think going forward, it's Stevenson and they're going to bring in some more competition. But um I, honestly, I think I think this is probably McKenzie's last year on the roster. You think he's still going to take punts? I mean, just just based off of um, like the numbers game, if they can't find a way to activate both of them, um, then I do think that he'll he'll stand back there and take some punts. But preferably, um, I'm actually 100 percent OK with what they did Monday. Just even I know it, it was windy, so that's why they did it. And they just wanted to, um, you know, have somebody they could trust. But. You know, Micah High standing back there just fair catching the ball, making decisions to let it bounce or not. I'm a hundred percent okay with that because what happens is it minimizes the mistakes and it minimizes um the just the margin of error for us. So, you know, a lot of times when we're when we're getting these punts all season, I've been pounding the table and I've been preaching about how Isaiah McKenzie has not been efficient as a punt and kick returner. And everybody kept yelling, Well, he's averaging blah 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 for yards per return which which was very true the, the difference is and when you look at it you're going to look at for instance take take a step back and look at the game that we just had against the new england patriots the buffalo bills do not have the worst rushing defense in the league i know we got beat up by you know the colts and i know we got beat up by um tennessee but we don't have the worst rushing defense in the league so then you walk away from the game and you're like holy smokes we gave up 240 plus yards on the ground to a team that's because they ran it 43 times. But even with those numbers, if you take that 163 or 64 yard run out of it, uh, which you can't do because it happened. But but if you look at the rest of the game and, and you know, and you, you look at the average of everything else, because that one play wasn't it, it wasn't common. It, it was that one outlier. So if you take that play out of it, they average 3.4 yards per carry. And it's the same thing that happened with Isaiah McKenzie uh, week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had that great kick return, the very first of the of the game for 75 yards. And that inflated his return numbers, his averages. When you're at every other return, he's averaging maybe 10 yards here, 17. Yards. So like overall, he was averaging 15 yards or a little more than that for kick returns, but you add that 175 yarder in and yes, it inflates it up to 27 yards per return right now. What I need to see, I need to see the Buffalo bills actually trying to get that fixed. I don't know. Why don't we give Matt Breida a shot at, at fielding some of these punts? You know, he did it down in Miami, I believe, and he did it elsewhere in his career. I, I would like to see that. Or maybe again, I'm a hundred percent okay with Micah Hyde just back there fielding punts if you don't want him to run it because you don't want to risk him getting hurt i'm i'm fine with that because we want to see him in the pro bowl and he's an all he's an all pro caliber player so don't get him hurt but let, let's just um let's not take the chance of muffing punts and and um you know taking tackles for loss on punt returns like that 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 nothing bugs me more than lost lost yards on punt returns man like that that just that drives me insane and we've we've seen it one time too. if you've seen it once this year you've seen it one time too many hmm i don't know how i feel about all that i think i i agree maybe on kick returns because what you're saying is true and isaiah mckenzie is a talented guy i think he's mm -hmm. pretty good at what he does but every time i hear isaiah mckenzie's name 
the next thing I hear in my brain is Joe Marino saying the phrase shaky ball handler. <laughs> That's burned into my brain because I feel like Joe says that all the time. And he does. He does. <laughs> the timing of his benching is it doesn't have to be because he fumbled um, that, that fumble he had on that one kickoff, but it seems coincidental that that's the same time that Marcus Stevenson came off the IR and maybe the two are related. Maybe they're not, but for kickoff returns, some of what you're saying is true. Like, yes, every now and then you'll break a long one. You'll get like a 40 yard return and you can have the ball at the 40. But when you have Isaiah McKenzie back there, like I almost feel like, take the 25 yard. I mean, just take it in the end zone, take a knee and take, take it. And, and I, I I don't need to see any more fumbles or any more shaky ball handling almost because even when he doesn't get the fumble in the statistics category, sometimes he's not sure handed. And I don't know on kickoffs. I think I agree with that, but I think on punts, maybe are we giving up some free yardage if we're just going to catch the punt or let it bounce? Cause that's another 10, 15 yards we can get pretty consistently. Maybe it doesn't have to be McKenzie doing that. And we saw Stevenson fumble the ball in his one chance to take a punt. He, you know, he had a muff there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the guy's not on the roster for next year. I, I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I agree with you on kickoffs. Well, with the punts, um, I, I'll tell you, I, I think, I think Stevenson, you know, it was his first, it was his first action. It's not an excuse for the kid, uh, but it was his first action in the NFL as a punt returner. It was, you know, those, those emotions, the, the adrenaline that's going through these guys' body the first time you step on the NFL field with all with 70,000 fans screaming at you, you know, it's different. And um, I'm confident in, in Steven. I was confident in McKenzie. You know, I give these guys, like every Bills fan, we want these guys to succeed. So you go back and you're like, no, he can do it. He can. And, and man, I, when I tell you, I was the biggest Isaiah McKenzie supporter because I loved him so much. I just felt like he was the, I just felt like he was that guy that was going to develop and turn into a lifer in Buffalo. And he was so dangerous in so many different ways that it would behoove the bills to keep this guy around and now um the way i'm seeing it look you know they're not even using him to the best of his ability so you know because the best of his ability isn't is in the offense he's a weapon in the offense he's a wild card you put him in there and he does different things but to your point with the punt and kick return i know you're saying like you know but there's yards that we can pick up that you know they're free yards a lot of times which is very true the problem with isaiah mckenzie is his decision making on those punt returns so um whereas micah hyde is just gonna take the fair catch every single time so you know if it's a 40 yard punt it's a 40 yard punt and that is what it is whereas isaiah mckenzie doesn't make up his mind to either fair catch it or to catch it and run with it what ends up happening is he's making that decision as he catch like once the ball hits him he makes that decision and then he'll get hit and move back there's been go and look it up there's been a few tackle for, tackle for losses on those plays and then obviously the fumbles and then obviously that he's he's just not efficient as a punt returner man so i personally i i just don't want to see him back there at all like if at all i don't i don't want him returning punts unless literally unless and i don't even want to say it like this because i don't want something to happen but unless there's some weird reason why micah hyde is not in the game and unless um breed like whatever whatever excuse has to come up for it to happen like the, the team has to be falling apart at this point for me to feel like i want isaiah mckenzie back there yeah i think i'd rather have somebody taking it than just doing a fair catch but i hear you um and you know with isaiah in the offense he's not the same guy we claims 
off from Denver. He's he's grown as a wide receiver, I think. He's shown Absolutely. a little bit of improvement there. But his role in the offense is just non-existent. Aside from like three weeks ago, we used the a little bit more of the motion jet sweep stuff. They don't even attempt it anymore. And I thought that was a way to kind of compensate for having a weaker offensive line. Brian Dable obviously feels different, but he's gone for whatever reason. We're not even trying that anymore. And I think that means bad things for McKenzie going forward. It's insane, man. When you look at that, it, first of all, he had a touchdown. And um, aside from him having a touchdown, he he's he's somebody who absolutely puts fear into defenses. Defensive coordinators, like, no, he's not Tyreek Hill. I'm not going to sit there and act like he's Tyreek Hill, but he's built in that mold. And if we were able to give him a more um just just in general i, I don't want to say a, a a more complete role because i think if we actually utilize him for what he's good at it would be a complete role but if we would just utilize him more i absolutely think this offense would pick up i think that's part of the reason why we're not doing well in the red zone last year we did very well in the red zone because isaiah McKin look at look at his stats man he was one of the i believe he led the team or he was second in the league this year in touchdowns or last year, I should say, not this year, mm -hmm. in touchdowns. W why do we take that away? Granted, I know that Gabriel Davis grew as a receiver, or so we thought. I know we have Cole Beasley, who hasn't looked the same this year due to injury or for whatever reason. Stefan Diggs' numbers is down. Uh, so uh, what are we doing? You know, you have even this past game, he was inactive, but this past game, with windy conditions like that, wouldn't you think, you know what, let's not necessarily throw it as much. Let's grab a guy let's grab Isaiah McKenzie and let him do some of these jet sweeps. Let's, let's do some drag routes or some slant routes with our quickest guys. Like I just don't understand um, the decision to completely bench him. I understand benching him from punt return duties and kick return duties, but, but as a wide receiver, I don't get that at all. Yeah. I, last year I was feeling like we kind of go back to the well too much with that. And, and this year I've got completely a first course and I'm like, I miss it, bring it back. But not that he's going to be a threat. Like you said, he's not Terry kill. He's not going to take end around and go 80 yards. But I think what we miss is making those linebackers and maybe the corner. Think about what's happening. When you see mm -hmm. him, you're just giving them one extra split second to, to make a decision and to make a read. And as you know, in football, that extra half second is a lot when you're trying to, you know, cover it ground is. and um, you know, that's gone. That's absolutely gone. That's and, especially when you got guys like Isaiah McKenzie who can run 21 miles per hour. You get what I mean? Like that split second, he's three steps in front of you. So, it, you know, it absolutely matters. And when you have a guy like that, like you mentioned, you have that safety or the cornerback has to think or the linebacker has to think twice about what they're going to do. So if you're a safety, you have to now figure, okay, do I want to double check to make sure Isaiah McKenzie isn't going to be wide open or do I really want to try and double Stefan Diggs or can I double Emmanuel Sanders or you know like you actually have to make a decision right now what's happening is they know we're not going to be able to run the ball the Buffalo Bills can't run the ball efficiently so we don't really have to worry about it if they break one fine we'll, we'll give them a couple runs here or there but let's make sure Stefan Diggs don't beat us let's make sure Cole Beasley don't beat us and that's what they're doing and they're, they're stopping Josh from having the 400 yard games that we were seeing last year because they don't have to worry about just the offense just doesn't look diverse at this point. It looks like either you're going to throw a bomb or you're going to get Diggs on the uh, boundary and then he's going to try to make something happen. But even that's down. Diggs numbers are down as you know, compared to last year. So we got to figure something out, man. We're, we're at the end of the season now. We're getting to that point where these are where Super Bowl teams are made every mm -hmm. year. Um 
you know, you, you see teams that kind of start to get hot at this time. This is the time we got to get hot. Last year it happened when we went up against the Arizona Cardinals when we lost the game to the Hail Murray play. We need we need something like that. And hopefully, and I've said it five times now, or yeah, five times. We had these five losses. Like, oh, I hope that was just a punch in the mouth. And now it's time for us to wake up and do, dude, at it, the time is running out to wake up. At this point, it's time to really wake up and, and we need to figure out how to get hot right now and carry that thing into January and February. It's almost zero room for error right now. We're staring at seven mm-hmm. and six right in the face with Brady this week. And we haven't been able to put wins together back to back in a long time. And we we don't need to win out. I think we have maybe another loss that we can take, but man, we're starting to get real thin. And it's very sad how we went from number one seed conversation to well, let's just hope we can hang on to the seventh seed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's the thing that's concerning. It's like um, you have zero margin for error, not, not necessarily to the point where I'm afraid that we're going to miss the playoffs. I don't think we're going to I don't think we're in danger of missing the playoffs. But the thing that I do feel like um, you're going to you're going to get yourself in a position where the seed that you go into the playoffs with, you're going to be forced to go against a team that you don't want to see in that first week. It's going to be a team that you don't want to see in that second week. And then you're going to end up having a very difficult route to the Super Bowl. And, you know, you get beat up enough. And I feel like that's what we saw last year when we got to the AFC Conference Championship. What ended up happening was we were beat up. Diggs had cracked ribs. Uh, Beasley had a cracked leg. And, you know, so you, you just had a beat up team and we couldn't compete with the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't want that to happen again this year where you're, you know, you feel like you're the favorites and you feel like you're strong, but then you're beat up because you have to go through all these physical teams, which, by the way, this year, the Buffalo Bills have proven that they are not they do not match up well against physical punch you in the face type teams. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) For what many reasons this year, it's I, I think if I, I think there is some concern that they don't make the playoffs. I do. Um, I don't know that I bet money on it, but I think if if I think we should be at least concerned about the possibility of them not making it because there's not a lot of room for error. But you know, there's a lot of different reasons for the losses this year coming out. I mean, the Jacksonville game was an embarrassment. We started out the season, should have beat Pittsburgh. Maybe we're overconfident, maybe we just we're buying into all the things that nice people like us are saying about the bills and being Super Bowl contenders, whatever the reason is. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of concern, at least on my end, but one more question for you, Jay Spence, going back to the original question. I, I'm curious what you think if Stevenson can take over possibly for some of that jet sweep stuff, do you think he has a skill set to do that maybe next year or even later this year? Stevenson, absolutely. He has the speed. He has the quickness to do it. Um, and and it might be worth, you know, like I said, if, if they're going to keep McKenzie inactive, it might be worth to activate Stevenson and, and try to integrate him for a couple of plays just to see what he has. Um, because I, I absolutely agree with you. I think he has that speed or, or you didn't say that you were asking, but I, I think he has that speed. I think he has everything that, at least from college, we saw the speed. I would love to see him try it. But this year, because I know we have film in this offense with Isaiah McKenzie. I think we're at a point, like you just mentioned, very, very low margin of error. I think we're at this point where we need to go with what works. And right now I don't, I don't still want to, I don't want to play the guessing game right now. I, like We can do that in the preseason next year with Stevenson right now. We got to win. And, and I don't, to be honest, I don't want to, I don't want to play games right now. Okay. I hear that. 
I think that I went, like I said, I went from last year being like, we do that way too much. Stock that shit off to, I really missed that. Can we bring that back? <laughs> All right. Jay Spence, the King, do you have anything else for me? No, man. Thank you. I, I, to be honest, I thought this was going to be a little bit longer. I'd, I'd have blocked off an hour for you, man. I appreciate you. You have me on and uh, we got to, I know you, you mentioned, or I don't know if that's an announcement to make, so I won't say it, but I got to get you on the code of conduct very, very soon. And, and like I said, man, I appreciate you having me on and uh, shout out to everybody over there at built in Buffalo. Shout out to my girl, Tia Stell and, and, and Mike and shout out to uh, a rich and, and, you know, everybody, every, in fact, it's the founders B day. I don't know when this is going live, but, but the birthday shout out to the birthday boy. Uh, keep doing what y'all do. Keep growing it, taking it to new heights. And, um, you know, Ryan, shout out to my man, Ryan. Y'all got the whole crew over there. Shout out to everybody. <laughs> All right, man. We, we appreciate that. And I am always very thankful that anybody takes some time to uh, talk bills with me uh, because I can't do a great show without help from my great guests. So thank you very much, Jay Spencer King. Why don't you plug your socials and tell us all, I mean, if they're listening to me, they already know who you are, but why don't you plug it anyway? Hey, uh, y'all can find me on Twitter at Jay Spence, the King. Uh, the, the code of conduct goes live Tuesdays at 9 PM Eastern time. The hump day hotline goes live Wednesdays at 9 PM Eastern time. And then the chop up is Saturday night, 9 PM uh, with myself, Kristen Kimmick, Sterling Furrow and Angelina White. Uh, please, please, Come and kick it with us, man. We 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 talk bills. We talk. I'm, I'm trying to do some other things as well. I'm going to be starting a new show actually, starting next week. It's going to be called the Culture Review. It's for all my hip hop heads. So if you got anybody who loves hip hop, who loves old school hip hop, authentic hip hop, just be there for it. We're going to do everything from reviewing the new versus battles that they have to album reviews to just just anything and everything hip hop. All right, there you have it. Jay Spence, again, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And uh, thank you so, I mean, I keep I keep saying thank you, but I mean it. I'm sincere. Uh, this, you know, the last few episodes before I kind of hang up my microphone for good, and I'm very appreciative. Well, I appreciate you. And, and that's, that was the announcement I didn't know if you made or not yet. So look, man, uh, before you hang your mic up, like I said, I got to get you on a code of conduct. What I might do is I might actually reach out to the, the no, I'm not might. I'm going to reach out to the built in Buffalo crew. I'm going to get a, a few of y'all, maybe you, T and Ryan, get everybody together and we'll, we'll get you on a code of conduct and do a good table, you know, a good table discussion about some stuff and, and just have some fun. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Cool, man. Thanks. Go Bills. Mafia, that's it. That is all I have for you this week. You have made it through another full episode of Buffalo on the Brain, and I don't know why you keep doing this to yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I want to remind you that you can get new content, new podcast content every single day of the week on this channel and literally twice on Sundays, and that's not even including all the content over on the YouTube channel as well. So we got stuff for your ears and your eyeballs. Please look us up. And last but not least, I remind you that you only have so many days left on this planet with those that you love. So please squeeze somebody close to you. Please be kind. Please wear a mask and go Bills. If you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode, please contact your state senator or the postmaster general. Please be sure to mention Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cryass.
Here we are. I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot podcaster who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot podcast. Boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too. Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. Ah! <laughs> It's over. Go home. Go.